everybody, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star, and I am grateful for you listening to the 54th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. Uh, 54 happens to be the number of blown calls by Angel Hernandez this week. If I'm wrong about that number, give or take, just <laughs> I want to use his amazing explanation and just tell you that I basically guessed wrong. Um, we're going to talk about more about Angel soon, I promise. But um, okay, the show, uh, the goal this week, um, you know this is the goal every week. The goal is to be worth your time. This week, we're going to do that with a story about liars and answer a question here about this weird job that friends ask a lot. Uh, Matt has a question about the Royals bullpen. Janae cuts to the chase about Angel Hernandez. And uh, Kyle asks about the the new AD at Kansas. Uh, The bonus segment is related, and it's with new KU football coach Lance Leipold. All right, the lead here, and look, I I thought about leading with the Royals, but um, there's a full column that's posted on the website this morning. You know, it kind of explains where I see them at the moment. I hope you read that. Uh, But the lead here is just a thought about Carl Peterson and the Chiefs Ring of Honor. Okay, uh, the Star is running a special promotion for the Sports Pass right now. Dollar a month for three months for all of our sports coverage, including more original Chiefs and Royals content than you can find anywhere else. You can find that on our website or just reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, email, and I'll send you the link. I appreciate all of you who've listened and offered great feedback, and especially those of you who've written in asking for the subscription link. Your your support means everything to me and more importantly to the people I work with, so, uh, so thank you. Um, okay, the show. You probably heard uh, Tim Grunhard was recently announced as the next name in the Chiefs Ring of Honor, and it is well-earned. I can't imagine feeling anything but pride for Grunny. He was the Chiefs starting center for 11 seasons, including the, the entirety of the 1990s, anchored some really excellent offensive lines for you know the decades winning his franchise including some of the best you know <laughs> some of the best pre-Mahomes I guess I should put that disclaimer on these things now uh, but he anchored some of the the, the best pre-Mahomes teams in franchise history for me when I think about Tim Grunhard um, you know what puts him over the top for the ring of honor it's it's not the playing right I mean he, he was a really good player I'm not trying to take anything away from that but when I think of him I think about what he's done in Kansas City um, you know he, he grew up in Chicago he went to college at Notre Dame, but like from the moment he arrived here in 1989, he just, he made this his home. And, you know, he helped popularize the Chiefs. Um, he was like sort of an active voice in spreading football around town. Uh, he had a popular radio show, radio show when he was playing. He took the job coaching football at Bishop Mies. He was, was a key force in turning that entire athletic department from, you know, kind of a sleepy you know outside of volleyball and girls basketball too you know now they're they're a power in a lot of sports and tim grunhard was a huge part of that he's done clinics he shook hands he's answered questions from strangers he's just you know become one of the best ambassadors for kansas city that we've had over the last 20 or 30 years like i I don't know if this is like a weird way to think about it but you know i think a lot about you know people who make kansas city great right like artists and and chefs and teachers and architects and entrepreneurs philanthropists like just the kinds of people who give this place energy right like give it an identity and tim grunhard is absolutely in that group um you know the the other day i was doing uh you know this my regular segment on the border patrol and and grunny came in to talk about the honor and what he was talking about he just said that i just thought this was so cool he said that when people look up and see his name on there he hopes they don't just think about him, right? But they think about his teammates and more importantly, that they think of everyone else around town, like Kansas Cityans who helped get him there. And I just, I I thought that was so cool. It was genuine, um, just such a cool thing to say in the moment. 
we're lucky to have him here. You know, that he chose, chose to give like so much energy and uh, I, I'm just, I'm really happy for him. So, okay, so Grunny's going in this fall, but it got me thinking, you know, and part of this is a conversation with a couple friends, but I, I just wanted to point out a huge and glaring omission in that ring of honor that Tim Grunhard will deservedly enter this fall. And, and that is Carl Peterson. You know, it, it is absurd that Carl Peterson is not already inducted. And every year that passes without his inclusion, that absurdity only grows. The The Chiefs, I'm just being real here, uh, the Chiefs were crap when Carl Peterson was hired in, in 1989. The, the football team had been lapped in popularity by the baseball team, which is, is probably a hard thing for people younger than like 30 or so to imagine, but it's absolutely true. And, you know, th- there were games that you could have had an entire section of Arrowhead Stadium to yourself. And when when Carl was hired, uh, the Chiefs were coming off of consecutive four-win seasons, and they had had one playoff appearance and just one other winning season since Hank Stram. Carl hired Marty, Marty Schottenheimer, and, you know, together they just completely remade what the Chiefs were and, and what the Chiefs were about. And all of the popularity and strength of the modern Chiefs, it began with Carl and Marty. And Marty deserved to get in before Carl. Like, let's let's be real about that. Marty was the head coach, the leader, uh, the one who made, you know, seven postseasons in eight years, including, you know, three AFC West championships. Marty gave that team an identity, right? They, they would run the ball down your throat and hit you with long play action on offense. And they would beat the snot out of your quarterback and strip the ball on defense. They, they you know, eventually they became known for the playoff failures, right? And that is both, you know, a little unfair and also exactly how life works. But God, they, they, they had some awesome moments too, you know? And, and Carl had an irreplaceable part of that success. He was a showman, you know, the black leather and, you know, uh, creating the, the parking lot tailgate scene. Uh, he was also a damn good, like, football man. He drafted Derek Thomas. He signed one undrafted free agent, Tony Richardson, who made the NFL's all-decade team and the Chiefs Ring of Honor. He signed another, Brian Waters, who was a two-time All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler, NFL Man of the Year. Um, he drafted Tim Grunhard. Um, Carl drafted Tom Bahali. Jamal Charles, Derek Johnson, Jared Allen, Will Shields, Tony Gonzalez. Like He signed Priest Holmes as an unrestricted free agent. And uh, he took grief when people thought he took Dustin Colquitt too high. I mean, you know, say what you want, but the man could build a roster. You know, he hired Dick Vermeil, and the Chiefs had one more push before he left. And, you know, as much as people in the organization still talk about how the, the franchise needed some modernization after Carl left, and, you know, some parts of the operation had turned stale, uh, that organization was terrible before he got there, and it was terrible after he left. And I mean, look, like I, I, I'm not naive. Um, I understand what's going on here. Like, there's a bad mix of like ego and and pettiness and all sorts of emotions that go both ways here. And you know, are keeping like an otherwise deserving man out of the team's biggest honor. Um, you know, toward that end, it's it's kind of interesting to me that there's a, a similar blind spot across the parking lot. You know, um, Cedric Tallis built some of the Royals' best teams and memories as GM, but still hasn't been put in that, in that Royals Hall of Fame. So, look, like Carl rubbed some people the wrong way, and I get that. He didn't get a team to the Super Bowl, and I get that. But he was a fundamental force in pushing the Chiefs forward. He was a force in the team's, you know, transition away from just the ineptitude of the 1980s and into a franchise that had reason to be proud, you know, and a, and a fan base that had reason to fill Arrowhead and, and turn it into one of the NFL's best game day atmospheres. 
you know, Carl just he needs to be in the ring of honor and you know whatever patching of raw feelings that's required to get this done it just it needs to get done you know this is something we may write about you know a little bit more in depth sometime but i just wanted to get that out there now um you know just come on chiefs right like you know this should happen before we move on to the rest of the show this podcast is free but that doesn't mean i'm not going to ask you one more time to join us behind the paywall we work hard to bring you information and perspectives that you can't get in other places. Uh, we have the most journalists working the Chiefs and Royals, uh, the most combined experience around the teams you follow, the most perspectives. Uh, please help support us. Give the Sports Pass a try. Again, you can join for a dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. You can find those links online or reach out to me, Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and, and I'll send them along. If you'd like to participate next week's show, and please do, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone call anytime, 816-234-4365. Or as the great reader Michael points out, 816-BEG-IDLE. Uh, okay, a uh, quick break, and then we are back with those questions. Hey, Sam, Phil calling from Sioux Falls and wanted to ask you something I picked up on on your latest podcast where you mentioned that you don't mind anymore being smokescreened by team officials, but you do mind being lied to. And I'm wondering if that's ever happened. It's probably a dumb question. I'm sure it has. And if it has, is there anyone you want to dish on? Uh, you know, give us the dirt. Um, and also, I do hope at some point the Chiefs do draft Sam Ellinger from Texas. Sorry about that. Bye-bye. First of all, you take that back right now, Phil. <laughs> Sam Ellinger signed with the Colts or, or someone. Maybe it's not the Colts, uh, but I'm not looking it up right now out of simple spite. And I promise you, Sam Ellinger being drafted or signed by the Chiefs was a nightmare scenario for me. Look, there was a Big 12 football media day in Dallas some years back. And I have to be honest with you, at that point in my life, I was blissfully unaware of the existence of a human named Sam Ellinger. And, you know, the Texas coach was at the podium and you can imagine what happened when a group of reporters, mostly from Texas and obsessing over Sam Ellinger, heard me introduce myself. Right. Like, honestly, it genuinely like shook me. <laughs> and I have no idea if the question made any sense. I forgot what I was asking about, you know, but it was just <laughs> one of those. And everybody just like stares right at me. And like a little while later, I asked a friend, uh, like, what happened? Like, why did everyone turn around like that? And he just started laughing at me. And then I realized in every fall Saturday for the last two or three years, my mentions on social media and voicemails and emails at work just fill with these like, hey, nice game against Texas Tech or whatever jokes. And so anyway, Phil, I have been rooting for Sam Ellinger to quit football, if I'm honest with you. And I feel like that Mike Bolton guy from Office Space, right? Um, <laughs> except as it turns out, Ellinger's pretty damn good. And I just might have to fight this fight on my own for years. But um, anyway, sorry about the tangent there. You asked a question. Yes, I've been lied to. Um, and I, I don't want to put anybody on front street here, you know, because some of them I still need to work with, to be honest with you. And I'm not sure if they know if, that I know that they've lied to me. 
if that makes sense. Others aren't working here anymore, so it would feel sort of like a gratuitous dunk or whatever. But look, the lying, it, it actually doesn't happen as often as maybe you would think. And, you know, here, maybe I should note that I'm pretty generous with what I consider lying. Like, you know, basically anything in a press conference, I'm going to give you a pass on. And even stuff privately, I'm going to keep in mind that this person I'm talking to has a job and an agenda. And, you know, what someone else might think is a lie, they might think is just their perspective. You know, I, I'd also acknowledge there have been times I thought somebody was lying to me, you know, and, and felt pretty sure of it. And then later realized that they weren't, that they were telling me the truth. So uh, I try not to get all like righteous about this stuff unless I'm 100% sure. You know, I'll, I'll tell you one one other way that this has affected me, though. Like, you know, a lot of times, especially as I'm getting to know someone, like, I'll, I'll just be blunt, like, you know, Look, man, um, if there's something that comes up in this conversation that you think I should know, but you can't or don't want your name on it, um, you know, please just tell me, you know, like I would rather be able to write and know what's true, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and not just what you can say with your name attached. And I, I should point out a few things here uh, about that. Like the first is that, you know, this can create some unintended consequences, you know, because there's, uh, you know, there's a reason we're really careful with what people tell us on background, you know, anonymously. And, you know, the same way people can shade their thoughts a certain way when their name is attached, sometimes people can go the other way when they don't have to answer for it, you know. But um, I also trust my BS detector a little bit. And, and you know, the other thing I'll point out here is that I'm lucky um, with how I come to these things, right? Like I've worked in one place a long time and Kansas City isn't that big. So word gets around and it's easier for people to trust you when, you know, they're familiar with your work or have friends, you know, or have talked to you and that kind of thing. So um, anyway, that's how I try to navigate that. Um, okay. Let's get to some Royal stuff here. Hey, Sam, uh, this is Matt, uh, former Kansas City and now living in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I, uh, my question for you is, uh, I'd love to know what you think is going to happen with this pretty epic closer uh, carousel that the Kansas City Royals are, are on right now. Who do you think is going to emerge uh, as a more uh, everyday closer for the team? Uh, and then secondly, uh, I'm going to go ahead and take my shot while I'm on here with you to implore you to listen to my podcast, uh, which is called Sometimes It Rains. Uh, the first season covers the story of Willie Mays Aikens, former Kansas City Royal. Um, he gave me a great interview, and it's a seven-episode series that looks at his whole journey and how mandatory minimums affected his life. Um, the whole podcast is about the intersection between sports and social justice. I think you'd love it, uh, and I hope you give it a listen. Uh, that's it. Uh, thanks for the great work you do, and uh, and have a good day. First of all, uh, I'm happy to leave your plug in here because um, I've gotten to know Willie a little bit, and, and I find him to be a sweet man who is, you know, open about his mistakes and has done a much better job of not being angry or bitter about some really unfair treatment he got than, you know, I think that I would be able to, I don't think I would handle that stuff nearly as well as he has. So, um, so there, um, okay. But you asked about the closer thing and I'm going to continue to hit on this because I think it's an important sort of, you know, crutch in better understanding the Royals and Mike Matheny because, you know, there is no closer. And I also don't think it's accurate to say that there's like a closer by committee or a closer carousel or any of those terms. Like, you know, because that to me like implies a lack of a plan, right? Or, or a lack of capable guys. And, um, you know, let's be real. The Royals bullpen is slumped, you know, in the last week or two. And, you know, they basically wrecked the Cleveland series. And at least as I'm recording this, they're 
collective ERA is is well above five, um, and it ranks you know right at the bottom of the American League. But you know the Royals have four relievers on the injured list, and you know there's a domino effect there that's only amplified when a guy doesn't have the outing that Mike Matheny expects. You know that's not an excuse. Big league baseball is about results, not excuses, and the Royals need to be better. But um, you know anyway, I, I feel like I'm getting a little bit into the weeds here. Uh, the the point is. The Royals do not have a traditional bullpen, um, you know, with a traditional closer who takes the ninth after a traditional setup man takes the eighth and so on. Um, the Royals are deploying this sort of like amoeba bullpen. You know, guys are used based on a combination of, you know, it, part of it is what what part of the opponent's lineup is due. Part of it is, you know, where where the game is in terms of, you know, score and inning, um, health recent use you know there, there's a lot of factors that go into this and um i've said this before but i'm happy to emphasize it again you know i, I believe this is a good fit for who the royals have in the bullpen and Matheny's willingness to do it this way is a sign of a lot of traits that you want in a manager you know um it shows he's not managing for the post-game interview um shows he, he's willing to think differently shows he's willing to put in more time and thought and risk for something that he believes can benefit the team in the long run you know, it's it's a bit of a high wire act. You know, it, it requires extra buy-in from a group of guys, uh, you know, many of whom are going to have, you know, contract clauses or pride reasons or whatever to push for certain roles. So, you know, all that said, you know, if you're asking me who I expect to lead the team in saves, um, I'd go Josh Stama. Like, I, I think the Royals have other candidates, you know, Kyle Zimmer, Greg Holland, you know, even Scott Barlow. But um, to me, Stama, he, he's just the right combination of like swing and miss stuff and demeanor, you know, to handle those high leverage situations. But, you know, the Royals already have six guys um, with a save, and I'm expecting at least another two or three before the end of the season. So, okay, another baseball question, and this one uh, feels particularly timely. So here we go. Hey, Sam, Janae from KCK, your uh, cold weather friend. Why does Angel Hernandez still have a job? Thanks. So there are a lot of ways to do this, but maybe the best way to know an umpire is terrible at his job is if he gets a call right and it still creates enough drama that three guys from one team are ejected while a player from the other team is quite literally laughing at the previous missed call. And, you know, that uh, that team's manager just publicly mocked the umpire the night before and it just becomes... A, a national story, you know, again, after he got the call right, because it was a buck. Brady Singer, that, that, that was a buck. Um, so anyway, I, w- I want to be as clear as possible here. I, I do not have evidence to tell you that Angel Hernandez misses more calls than the average Major League umpire, um, though I can tell you that because we can measure everything now. There's a Twitter account called uh, Umpire Auditor. And if you go to that account, you'll see the, the pinned tweet states that Angel Hernandez was behind the plate for the single worst called game of the season so far. Um, he missed 24 calls in an April 7th game between the Astros and Angels. That is a success rate of an astonishingly low 83.2%. Like, I do not believe that it is an exaggeration to say that a baseball fan sitting 30 rows up could probably get to 83%. Um, but again, that's just one game, and you know I believe in data. So unless I have data that says he's the worst, uh, I'm not going to tell you he's the worst. You know, like look, like next time you see CB Buckner behind the plate, you know, for instance, um, notice some things, right? And and I think you'll see that um, Angel Hernandez is not the only one that that misses some calls sometimes. But look, the, the biggest problem with Hernandez is not the calls. It's not 
you know, getting calls wrong. The biggest problem is that he combines those misses that everybody has, but he combines them with, you know, just an arrogance, uh, a dismissiveness, a defensiveness and, and insecurity that just makes everything worse. You know, like he's somewhat famously um, sued Major League Baseball over lack of like World Series assignments and crew chief assignments. And um, the, the case went nowhere because MLB showed that he's essentially bad at the job and unfit for leadership. And, you know, this problem isn't going away either. You know, it's only getting bigger because think about this, like instant replay is not going anywhere. The role of technology is only going to grow as the system is improved and streamlined. And, you know, that means that more and more every year, the role of the umpire is going to be a little bit less about getting calls right and a little bit more about the sort of like general game management. And what, what I mean is that, you know, more calls are going to be made with technology. And, you know, that backstop of, you know, replay to correct to correct missed calls on the field, it's just going to expand and improve. And at the same time, that means a bigger chunk of an umpire's role will be about maintaining, you know, pace of play, communication with both teams, keeping things moving. And, and these are the things that Hernandez is the worst at. Like the other night when Hernandez was having a, another rotten game, like I broke my general, like leave the officials out of it rule and, and posted what I think are some hard to argue against criticisms of Hernandez. And I only mention that because of what I'm about to tell you. Three different people who make their living in baseball texted with dunks on Hernandez. This is not just a fan thing. This is this is one of those parts where casual fans and people who work in the game tend to agree. And, you know, Angel Hernandez is protected by the umpires union, which really punches above its weight, in my opinion. And Janae, this is the answer to your question. Like he has a job because he's protected by the union, but he's objectively bad at that job. And, and the things that he's worst at are only going to show up more and more with the way baseball is going. And look, you guys know me. Um, you've probably heard me say that like whining about the officials is the ballad of the loser, right? And um, I don't talk about officials or umpires very often because it's not why any of us like sports and I usually find it to be a waste of time. But, you know, Hernandez and a select few others in all sports are, are so terrible that they consistently take away from the game, which is just when you get to that level, that is unacceptable. Um, umpires are human. Um, some calls are just going to be missed and I could talk for an hour about how we all need to treat officials better because part of the problem with officiating is that nobody wants to get into that business because of how much crap they have to take. So we need to treat them better, like in, in, in youth sports and high school and college and all that. But, you know, there, there are exceptions and I'm telling you, this is one of them. And, you know, the players and coaches and trainers and so many other people just put too much into their work. The fans pay too much money and, and put in too much time. And, you know, people don't think about this as much, but there are guys in the minor leagues busting their asses and traveling around the country and being away from their families, working hard to make the big leagues. And they can't get the promotion because the union is protecting the worst. It's just, it's obnoxious. And, you know, baseball isn't alone here, of course. Like anybody who's watched a college basketball game recently knows that you don't have to go far to see bad officiating. But there are some clear ways to clean this up in baseball uh, it just takes the willingness to do it so anyway uh let's move on here hey sam kyle here from newton kansas a couple weeks ago i asked you about jeff long after his weird presser and you said it was one of the most bizarre pressers that you've ever been to 
just want to hear your thoughts. Um, obviously, Travis Goff at KU is finishing up his first coaching search that he's had. Didn't know if you had any thoughts on him, how well he's handled things. Um, have you heard anything? I'm just curious. Seems like he has all of his ducks in a row and uh, seems like things going well, but love to hear your thoughts. Appreciate the podcast that you do for us every week. It's a great thing, and uh, we'll catch you later. I don't know Travis Goff. Um, you know, we have some things in common, as it turns out. I think we're about the same age. We were at KU at the same time, but I don't know him. Um, I was out of town when he was hired. Um, family vacation, kids spring break, so no regrets. But uh, I met him for the first time the other day at the Lance Leipold uh, press conference. We talked for a few minutes. Um, he strikes me as, you know, sharp, committed, earnest, um, you know, sort of raised in the world of jargon, you know. Um, I want to get to know him more before making any big declarations. But at the moment, I tell you, my sense is that, you know, he's got big ideas, a lot of optimism, um, but he's been away from KU for a long time and he hasn't been on the job long enough to really, you know, see or start to solve the biggest problems. But um, you're asking me how I think he's handled things. And as long as we're all adults here and understand this is based on like 12 minutes on the job, uh, I'll tell you what I see. Um, I see a football coach search that was handled professionally. Uh, and thoroughly with an emphasis on including the input from, you know, carefully selected and look, I guess I'm going to use some jargon here myself, but, you know, the input from from carefully selected stakeholders, um, you know, and honestly, right there, that puts them ahead of the at least the last two ADs at KU. Um, I don't know everything that happened with the search, obviously, but I know that there was enough smoke around Army coach Jeff Munkin to, uh, you know, at least some people in the athletic department believe that it was a done deal that KU was going to hire Munkin and not Leipold. And I'm, I'm bringing that up only to tell you that Munkin was a thoroughly like qualified candidate uh, with some really interesting strengths that he could have brought to Lawrence. Uh, same as Leipold. But the point here is that a search that ended with two strong candidates like that is by definition a good search. The other thing that I'd say about Travis is that he seems to approach a job without personal ego. Um, you know, he seems to approach like, you know, he's a caretaker more than, you know, kind of the big shot telling people what to do. I think that's really important. I think that's strong and uh, departure from the last few years, if we're being honest. The concern that I'd have is that KU and, and a lot of schools do this, but KU seems to do it more than most. Um, you know, KU has this track record of sort of overcorrecting with the football and AD jobs. You know, Lou Perkins had a lot of strengths and did a lot of important stuff in modernizing that department. Uh, but he also ran the thing a bit like a club and you were either in it or you were out and eventually that grew tired. He's replaced by Shane Zanger, um, super earnest by all accounts of those who've worked with him, a really good man. Uh, but in the end, just kind of overmatched by the stakes and consequences of, of running a major athletics department. So he's replaced by Jeff Long, who has all the experience he'd ever asked for, uh, but thought he could do a little more on his own than he should have. And I think that that lack of inclusivity and communication really hurt him in the end. Um, you know, you could say some of the things, things, some of the same things about the football coaches, like, you know, Charlie Weiss got the job by cultivating this sort of like star power based on the jobs he used to have. Right. When he crashed and burned, they hired a grinder, like someone who'd give everything he had for the job. When the problems proved too big for David Beatty, they hired a guy with, you know, sort of a star power based on the job he used to have. You know what I mean? And, and after that didn't work, you know, for various reasons, they're back with a grinder. So, you know, that pendulum just keeps going back and forth, back and forth. That, that's the point I'm making here. 
and you know running the department at KU it's it's a lot different than being the number 2 at Northwestern and if it turns out that Goff isn't up for this job you know you can fill in the blanks and make an educated guess at what the reasons will turn out to be you know what i mean so look all that said um i do think that um Travis's history with KU his emphasis on running a sort of like big tent department um i think that's a good place to start at least so you know we'll see right um but Anyway, speaking of golf and KU, uh, here's one more question. What's up, Sam? This is Derek Starr calling you from Corpus Christi, Texas. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are on the Lance Leipold hiring at KU. Uh, had a lot of success at Buffalo. Was at UW-Whitewater, which is where I grew up, and uh, had a pretty awesome legacy there. And just curious what your thoughts are for, for the Jayhawk Nation moving forward. Thanks, brother. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, you know what? <laughs> Let's make the answer to this one the bonus segment. Okay, guys? Okay, we're back after a quick break. Okay, uh, so look, I am aware that every time we talk about one of the local schools here, it means that more than half the audience has reason not to care, right? And if that's you here with you know, new KU football coach Lance Leipold, then sure. Okay. Um, I get it, but I'm doing this here because I think that even if you don't care about KU or, you know, even if you hate KU, uh, there's some interesting stuff in here because let's be honest, like this is when KU football is interesting, right? Like they, they've got a long way to go to get interesting on the field, but that program has just fallen down so far that the immediately and undeniably interesting parts are when they have these changes at the top and you know we're sort of seeing who KU thinks the football program can be and and you know sort of what's important and like I, I find this interesting you know KU in its promotion of Leipold they like to point out that he went 109 and 6 in eight years at division three Wisconsin Whitewater that probably sounds like a screwed up but I did not 109 and 6 <laughs> it is a preposterous level of success now listen to this KU's conference record in the last 12 years, 7 and 98. <laughs> 7 and 98. Like, isn't that wild? I can't be the only one that finds this crazy that KU's ineptitude is essentially exactly as big as the success that Leipold had at Wisconsin Whitewater. Um, anyway, uh, here's Lance's answer when uh, Jesse Newell just asked like the blunt question, you know, which is basically like, why do you want this job? <laughs> like, why do you think, you know, that you can do this? And hey, uh, sorry about the audio quality. We were in the indoor uh, practice facility and there's a little bit more background noise uh, picked up than, than I would have liked. So uh, apologies for that, but hopefully you can still get something out of the conversation. Because I think uh, at a higher level, there were some parallels that they said about the last guy. And it's, it's the next thing. You know, there's a lot of people that told me not to take the ball for and I felt there was parts there that we, we, we did a lot there, and it was, it was time for another one. That's, that's what I want to do. So, oh, like, look, we can be fairly cynical here and point out that Leipold also is quadrupling his salary at KU. Um, he will make more money in his first year or two than he's made in his entire life. So that's got to be part of the equation, too. But there's some real stuff here, you know, like. Buffalo was rotten when Leipold got there, and he turned that place into a winner. He has every reason to be proud of his time there, but it's also true that Buffalo wasn't quite the mess that KU is right now. 
and scaling the Mac. And I promise this is not like mid-major slander because I recognize, you know, good teams and good players fill the Mac. But let's just be real here and recognize that the space between Buffalo and Ohio or, you know, Buffalo and Toledo or whatever, like that is just a different challenge than closing the gap between, you know, Kansas and, you know, heck, like even Iowa State. Like I'm not even going to say Kansas and Oklahoma, right? Um, You know, it's a heck of a thing to take the job at KU and think you can win. It requires like this wicked blend of humility and confidence. But um, here's Lance on why he thinks he can do it. About fit and expectations. And as I, I told Travis, I'm, I'm from a small town, um, uh, and maybe this will make sense to some. I'm from a small town in between Milwaukee and Madison, Wisconsin. Milwaukee Brewers and the Kansas City Royals don't have the same resources or everything as the Yankees. The Green Bay Packers and the Chiefs don't have what the Cowboys have. That's why I was raised. Yeah. That's why I was raised. Uh, there's some good stuff in there, and I'm going to get to the part of what I think needs to happen for Leipold to win, and and I'm going to tell you what winning looks like, what, what success at KU football looks like. But first, I, I thought it was interesting that Leipold sought out the only two coaches to have success at KU in, like, most of our lifetimes, right? Uh, you know, here's what Lance heard from Mark Mangino and Glenn Mason. You can win. You can win. And, uh, you know, I think some of the ways that they've gone about it are, are, are blueprints. They, they need some consistency. They need some, you know, is what they've said. But a lot of great things about it. But um, alignment from coaching up through administration is extremely important. And that's what I said about Travis. And, uh, and again, uh, you know, uh, surround yourself with people that, that you can do. But the locality and things, you can recruit a lot of different you know places and, and find players that are fit you so, but they were very positive and they don't know me very well and coach mason did one of our games when we played uh in uh 17 at minnesota and had a chance to watch us and and, and he he thought that you know, our style of play and how we went about it would, would definitely uh, have, have the opportunity for success so, okay, here's where I come in. Um, here's where I'm gonna tell you what I think needs to happen for success and what success looks like. Um, first, what needs to happen? And this might sound like kind of a weird thing to say, but in a lot of ways, like Leipold needs to continue what Les Miles was doing. You know, uh, Charlie Weiss and David Beatty wrecked the roster for years by taking on too many Juco kids. And, you know, combined, that combined with some scholarship limitations and KU just didn't have a full roster. Um, they couldn't give out all their scholarships. So, you know, you can say what you want about Miles in a lot of ways, but he was sticking to the discipline, you know, sticking to the, the long range vis- vision of building this thing with high school kids. And the next thing I tell you is somewhat related, which is that Leipold and his assistants and the administration and, you know, the most important part is this, in my opinion, the fans and donors need to approach this like it's at least a four or five year thing. Because like barring something egregious, and I'm not talking like two and ten season here. Like when I say egregious, I, I mean like, you know, Leipold deciding to like coach a game without pants, right? Or like deciding like his literal pet dog will coach special teams or something. But barring anything like that, uh, barring something so egregious like like that, I don't want to hear anybody talking about firing that guy for at least four or five years, no matter what. Because there needs to be buy-in. And there needs to be the humility to accept that that whole thing has been so screwed up that Leipold could do all the right things and still not win. And KU needs to make this an attractive place again. 
you know, working recruiting particularly hard, both in terms of identification and pursuit, you know, local, regional, see if you can find some Louisiana or Texas or Oklahoma kids who are overlooked. Uh, you know, KU needs to find those sort of like Charles Gordon's again, right? Like the strength coach needs to be great. Like that's a non-negotiable. So, um, okay. So what does success look like for me? Um, and maybe I'm a bit extreme here, but I don't want to hear anything about the win-loss record until at least 2022, maybe 2023, because the focus needs to be about like infrastructure and and building that back up and and not what it looks like on the surface. Um, you know, success looks like, you know, an offense that may not have enough speed or size or whatever, but plays in a way that lets you know there's a plan, you know, that there's cohesion. Um, it's aggressive defense, uh, clean tackling, the occasional turnover. Like, you, you know what this is going to look like. So, you know, but more than all of that, it's stability with the coaching staff, recruiting classes full of high school kids, and like just trust rebuilt with high school coaches in the area. And then, you know, by what, 2024 or so, like it's some wins, like conference wins, maybe in a bowl game by the time, you know, the next class of recruits are juniors or seniors. So look, KU football is an outlier in terms of how bad they've been. So the way they're judged needs to be different than the way we usually do these things. So give it time, um, you know, make sure the coaches are giving honest effort you know, the, the kind of stuff nobody notices now, but will show up later. I, you know, I think Leipold is a good coach. Um, and, and I think that hiring makes a lot of sense, but that program may be so screwed up that it doesn't matter, you know, and the worst possible outcome of this is that the support system continues that trend and, you know, cuts him off before they know what they have, because, you know, you know, and, and cut him off before they know what they have, just because they're unwilling to admit how terrible they've let this thing become. That's the whole deal, right? Like, <laughs> this is humility. You've let this become this bad, so you need to give it more time than you probably want to. So, okay, guys, um, that's the show. I appreciate all of you for listening. I hope we're worth your time. Uh, thanks to everybody who called in, even those we couldn't get to. Uh, big thanks to Savannah Smith for putting this together. As always, uh, biggest thanks to you for giving us your time and letting us be a small part of your life. Uh, let's do it again next week. Um, I assume we'll talk more about the Royals and the NFL draft and all that other stuff. So, um, okay, guys, uh, have a good week and be kind.